This podcast is a presentation of Nags Head Church, reaching people to discover life in Christ. Stay tuned and visit us on the internet at nagsheadchurch.org. Acts chapter 16 is where we are today. One of the great chapters in Scripture. I guess one of the first verses I ever memorized as a Christian. A real simple verse. One of the great verses I ever first memorized as a Christian was out of Acts chapter 16. It kind of ranks right up there with John 3:16, and we'll get to it when we get down around verse 31, 32. Uh, but I want you to find that. We're going to go to Philippians 4 later on, so I hope you've got your Bible out, your U version out, so you can, you can go along and read along with us this morning. Um, I want to start reading where we left off last Sunday. If you're our guest, we're doing a series called Turn the World Upside Down in the book of Acts and looking at the, at the at, as Christianity, the gospel, went out into the world. That's exactly what happened was the world got flipped around. Uh, verse, verse 11, Luke writes, and we know Luke is there from last week because he, uh, he told us he was. Then setting sail from Troas, Troas is a seacoast town, uh, on, on Asia Minor, northwestern Asia Minor, Turkey today. Setting sail from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothrace. Samothrace is an island in the Aegean. Uh, you can look it up and see pictures of it. It's quite beautiful, mountain, uh, island, but it was, was kind of in the middle there, and it was a place to anchor overnight. The next day, to Neapolis. Neapolis is a seacoast town, a port town in Macedonia in northern Greece. Remember last week, the Macedonian man appeared to Paul in the vision and said, come over and help us. And they took that as God's leading, as God's will. So that, that's where they're headed, is over to northern Greece, to Macedonia. And from there, by land, to Philippi, a Roman colony, which is a leading city of that district of Macedonia. We stayed in that city, in Philippi, for a number of days, on the Sabbath day, we went outside, outside the city gate by the river where we thought there was a place of prayer. That place of prayer would have been, Paul speaking as a Jew, if there were not enough Jewish families, households in a city, and it, all you needed was 10 to have a synagogue. If there were not at least 10, then there was no synagogue, but there would always be a place where the Jewish people of the city on the Sabbath day would gather for prayer. Paul, they've evidently heard that, they, that the Jewish people gathered down by the river. So we went down to the river because we heard there was a place of prayer, thought there was a place of prayer there. We sat down and spoke to the women gathered there. A woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, who worshiped God, was listening. Lydia is a wealthy person. We know that because of what she deals in. Purple was very expensive. It was very much desired. Purple, as you know, was the color of royalty. And the purple dye came from the city of Thyatira, which apparently is where Lydia was from. And Thyatira is across the Aegean, back in, in Turkey, in Asia Minor. And there they, they made this dye. They, they, uh, got, they, they got the dye from a shellfish is where they extracted this dye from. So it was very costly. It was very expensive. Lydia is a dealer in purple, in purple clothing, purple linen, purple 
whatever you want purple out of or for. So that's what she is. That's who she is, a wealthy businesswoman. She was a God worshiper. This means this again. We saw this with Cornelius in chapter 10. He was a Roman centurion. He was not a Jew. He was a pagan, but he was attracted to the religion of the Jews. He was attracted to their monotheistic faith, one God, And so he was studying and he was learning about them. He came to Christ. Lydia is another Gentile who is also like Cornelius, enthralled, intrigued by the the faith of the Jewish people. She's there and she's worshiping God and she's listening to Paul and, and, and and those guys, the missionaries, Paul, Silas, Timothy, and Luke as they're talking and explaining the gospel, sharing Christ with others. I love this next verse. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was spoken by Paul. And after she and her household was baptized, she urged us, if you consider me a believer in the Lord, come and stay at my house. And she per- persuaded us. So we have a map of, of that journey, if we can put that up, Roxanne. And you can kind of see where they left from way down in Jerusalem. They spent time in Antioch. And that's when they said, that's when Paul and Barnabas split and Silas came and joined Paul, and they're going back, and they've retraced some of their steps from before. They went to Paul's hometown of Tarsus, then to Derby, Lystra, and Iconium. It was in Lystra they picked up a young guy named Timothy. We read that last week. Then back to Iconium, and then they started to go north. Well, let's go this to, to Asia. No, God won't let us go there. Let's go north up to Bithynia, way up at the top of the map. God said, no, I don't want you to go there. Then Paul had the, the uh, vision of the Macedonians, so they headed to the seacoast town of Troas, then stopped in the middle at Samothrace, and then to Neapolis, the port, and then right up to Philippi. So that's where we are today. So just to kind of give you an idea of where these are real places on the map, uh, where they are going. Uh, If you're taking uh, notes this morning, the first point of our outline is this. We are saved to serve. We're saved to serve. And then underneath of that, there's a point right after that that says, your salvation is God's work. The fact that you have eternal life, the fact that you have your sins forgiven, the fact that you have a place in heaven, that you are a part of the family of God, a child of God, is not any of yours or my own doing. It is all a work of God, something that that God has done. Lydia's salvation shows God's sovereignty because it said there, and the Lord opened her heart. So many times preachers say, you need to open your heart to Jesus, and the problem is sin has it closed. I don't have the power. Paul tells the the Ephesians in Ephesians chapter 2 that we are dead in our trespasses and sin. What can you do? Somebody please tell me, what can you do when you are dead other than rot and decay? You can't do anything when you're dead. That's all that you're capable of doing. What you need is a rebirth. What you need is a resurrection. What you need is new life. And the only one that can perform that in you and me is the Lord Jesus Christ. God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, God the Son, giving us his new life. The Lord opened her heart. And that means if you are here today and you have believed in Jesus as your Savior, it is because he opened your heart. So people say, well, I, I just, I want to love God. Well, you cannot, you, the only reason that you and I can love God, John says, we love him because he first loved us. He's the initiator. He's the one that makes it happen. None of us can say we are Christians 
because of our own efforts. Read this verse with me, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. Let's read it aloud together. For by grace you are saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast, so that no one can say, I'm a Christian because I'm so good, because we're not good enough. So by grace we've been saved, but God's salvation is not just so that we can have everlasting life. I'm so thankful that God has guaranteed me a home in heaven, aren't you? I'm so thankful that I know the moment my, my heart stops beating, my lungs stop breathing, my brain stop making waves, and some of, I know what some of you are thinking about that. I know that the moment that happens and I turn cold and morbid, I know the very second that I am absent from this body, I am present with the Lord. That's God's guarantee. That's his promise. I know that because his word tells me so. But it's not just about everlasting life. If that was the case, if it was just about everlasting life, you know what would happen when I was a 10-year-old boy and I said, Jesus Christ, I accept you, I receive you, I put my faith and trust in you and you alone as my Savior. The very moment that I put my faith and trust in God, God would have sent his heavenly vacuum cleaner down and sucked me right up unto heaven. But he didn't. Why? Because he's got something for me to do in this life. He's got something for you to do in this life. He doesn't do that. He has purpose in our lives. Again, Ephesians chapter 2, right after what we just read. Let's read that verse, Ephesians 2, 10. Read that with me. For we are his creation, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time so that we should walk in them. God already has prepared ahead of time, ahead of my time, what it is that he wants me to do in this life. God had it prepared for me to be up here today and share with you the gospel of Jesus. Maybe this is your first time today in Nags Head Church. This is a day that God has prepared for you and me to be here, to hear what we're hearing today. God's prepared it. He's got purpose in my life, purpose in your life as well. Lydia trusts Christ. Christ as her Savior, begins the life of a disciple. How do we know that? She was baptized. She said, I'm going to take that next step. I'm going to identify with Jesus. And the first thing that she, the first thing this woman does, she's never been to church in her whole life. She's never had a preacher get up and stand and say, please, we need some help. Would you please go and sign up for this or for that? We're, we're running low. We, we need somebody to help and serve in this. She's never heard any of that. She gets saved. She's baptized. And the first thing that she does is find a way to serve Christ's family. Did you notice that? The very first thing that happens, the very first words we hear coming from her mouth are about service. James wrote in his little letter to the Jewish Christians, he said that we show our faith by our works. And immediately that happened in Lydia's life. Listen, let me just say this to you kindly. If we don't want to serve Christ's church, if we are Christians and we just really don't want to get involved and we don't want to serve, we really might want to do a heart check and find out why not. By the way, good news is on April 27th, two weeks from today, we're having test drive, our test drive challenge. And we're going to make it possible for those of you that maybe do not yet have a regular place of ministry to say, hey, you know, I would like to try it out. The good thing about Nagshead Church is you can say, I want to try it out. It doesn't mean you're locked in there till, till Jesus comes, all right? 
Uh, it, means, it means you can try it out and find out, is this what God wants me to do? And you can try it for a week or two weeks or three weeks and then say, you know, yeah, I love this, or, you know, it's just really not me. Some of you have done that. You've tried it. You say, nah, that's just not kind of how I'm shaped, not how I'm gifted. Uh, can I do something else? And the answer is always what, ministry team leaders? Yes. And I'll help you, ministry team leaders, I'll help you find, you say to that person, I'll help you find where you do fit in. That's two weeks from today. So please, please think that out and, and, and pray and be ready for that. Her particular ministry to the body, Lydia's, was her hospitality. That was apparently her spiritual gift. And she started exercise. I just this tells me so much about Christ and the Holy Spirit in you and me. She started exercising that gift right away. She didn't have to take a class. She didn't have to fill out a, a test. To, she just started saying, well, look, I got this big house. You guys got no place to stay. You're welcome to come stay at my home. She started exercising her gift. Jesus had told his disciples in Luke chapter 10, verse 7, don't hesitate to accept hospitality. Paul would later write to the Romans in Romans 12 when he talks about spiritual gifts and he says, and share with the saints in their needs. Pursue hospitality. Pursue means to do what? To go after it. Pursue, be a hospitable person. Open up your home. Peter wrote to the early Christians in his letter, 1 Peter 4, 9, be hospitable to one another. I like this last part of the verse. Without complaining. What do you mean you invited so-and-so over for dinner? You know? You see what my house looks like? Well, clean it up. You know, God wants you to use it for his glory. Be hospitable. And some of you have the same gift that Lydia. And some of you just like to do that kind of thing. I love Lydia. The missionaries and the itinerant preachers in the first century especially depended on the hospitality of Christians. There were no hotels. They didn't drive, you know, motor homes. They didn't have a lot of money, expense accounts, or anything like that. So some, and perhaps Lydia, I believe, is one, were and are, some of you are here today, given the gift of hospitality, opening your home to others for meals and shelter. Why is that? Tom said this. Tom brought this out, and as he was introducing the offering, this next point here. Everything God gives us is to use for his glory and for his kingdom. That includes my home. You know why? It belongs to him. And I know what some of you are saying. I wish he'd help me out with a mortgage payment. Do you have a job? Well, yeah. Well, he has. All right? He provides you with everything that you've got. And it's to be used for his glory. And that includes being good stewards of our homes. Another thing that, you know, I can't help but believe the Bible, this next point, there was no waiting period for service. Immediately, she began to serve. The same day she trusted Christ, she began to minister to Christ's family. She didn't have to pray about it. She didn't have to be begged by anybody to help out. Paul didn't say, by the way, you got a spare room? She gave what she had, and what she had was room in her home, and she made that available to her new spiritual family. So let me ask you a question. How are you serving the church? How are you serving the church in ministry? Ministry at Nag said church means how we serve one another in the body of Christ. Not talking about outreach, talking about ministry. How are you serving the church in ministry? Just like Lydia, you have, I have, all, if you're a Christian, you've been gifted with abilities to serve. And just like Lydia, I believe this to be very true. The, the opportunities to serve are right here, right now, right before you. 
I'm so thankful for all of you at Nagsend Church who are faithful and active in ministries here. You've already served this morning. You're going to be serving in the next gathering. I, I appreciate what you do. Point number two, the effect of the gospel is not always welcomed by the world. Verse 16, once as we were on our way to prayer, a slave girl met us who had a spirit of prediction. That simply means this, this young slave girl was possessed by a demon who gave her the ability to predict the future. Now, whether or not she was right or not doesn't say, but she was given this, she's reading palms or whatever she might have been doing, and all that kind of thing is condemned uh, by God's word. But she was doing that. Uh, She had made a large profit for her owners by fortune-telling, verse 17. As she followed Paul and us, Luke writes, she cried out, These men who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation are the slaves of the Most High God. Anything wrong with that statement? Not that I can see. And she did this for many days. Now, you imagine you're Paul and Silas and Timothy and uh, and Luke, and you're walking around the city, and you're meeting with people, and everywhere you go, there's this young, probably teenager, young woman following you around. These guys are from the Most High God. Would you get a little irritated at that? I mean, everywhere you went, she's in the back seat of your car. You know, everywhere you go, you can't get away from her. That's what's happening. She did this for many days, and then it says, verse 18, Paul was greatly aggravated. Not because of what she was saying, but here's, what, here's Paul's aggravation. Paul knew it was not proper for demons to be introducing them to other people. This is just a connection that we don't need. So he turned to the spirit. The spirit possesses this girl. Paul wasn't talking to the girl. She had no control over this. But he talked to the spirit inside this girl, and he told the spirit, this demon, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her, and it came out right away. When all of her owners saw that their hope of profit was gone, <laughs> she was making money for them. They were charging, you know. You get your palm red here tarot cards, Ouija board, whatever they had. Their profit was gone. They seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. And bringing them before the chief magistrates, they said, these men are seriously disturbing our city. Were they really? No, but they had lost some money. They are ticked off about that. They are Jews and are promoting customs that are not legal for us as Romans to adopt or practice. And then the mob joined in the attack against them. The chief magistrates stripped off their clothes and ordered them to be beaten with rods. That's a horrible, horrible torture. Beaten with rods, and after they had inflicted many blows on them, they threw them into jail, ordering the jailer to keep them securely guarded. Receiving such an order, he, the jailer, put them into the inner prison, and secured their feet in stocks. When she was freed from that demon that possessed her, she lost that ability to predict the future, and her owners lost their income. Remember my boss at a local motel 28 years ago explained to me, I went to work there, worked at the front desk, 
and he was having kind of helping me understand my job, and he explained to me that sometimes, Rick, it, it's, it's necessary to be, I don't know the exact words he used, but he meant less than honest with customers about room availability or about price or about the location of a room. And he said to me, his, his words were, and he knew me, he knew who I am. I was, you know, he knew that I was pastoring a church. And he said, I'm not asking you to lie. And I cut him off. And I said, great, because I won't. Sometimes in the world, people will not welcome the faith of Jesus in your life. Some of you have experienced loss of income or of a job because your faith in Christ radically changed your ethics or your standards. Or maybe it was because the lifestyle change that came upon you when Jesus became your savior, you lost your friends because they just don't want to go out drinking. You won't, don't want to go out drinking with them anymore, partying. You see, when we're truly reborn, there will be changes in our lives. And sometimes those changes, like they were in this young lady, were immediate and dramatic. And when the changes take place in our lives, when we were in the world and we were without Christ and he comes into our lives and he changes us, transforms us, we begin to grow and become more and more like Christ, it isn't always welcomed by those outside of Christ. But let me just say to you, and that may be where you are right now, in your life, you're losing something because of Christ and your, your life has totally changed. Whenever you're faced with a choice, new Christian, hear me. Whenever you're faced with a choice, the world's ways or Christ's ways, let me hear me. You will never, ever go wrong by choosing Christ. You will never go wrong by choosing Christ. Next point in your notes, the joy of the Lord never leaves us. Verse 25, about midnight, they're in jail. Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners, other guys in the jail, were listening to them. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the jail were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's, everyone's, all the prisoners' chains came loose. When the jailer woke up and saw the doors of the prison open, he drew his sword and was going to kill himself since he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul called out in a loud voice, Don't harm yourself, because we're all here. The joy of the Lord never leaves us. An earthquake will get your attention. I don't know if you've ever lived through an earthquake. I did when I was 15 years old, early in that Southern California morning. Uh, there was a big quake, too. Did a lot of damage, not far from where we live. But I remember my bed. I mean, I was bouncing in the bed, literally. And I thought my little brothers, thought Scott and Mark were underneath, the, one of them was underneath the bed, kicking the bottom of my bed. That's what it felt like. And so I leaned over and looked under the bed, and there was nothing but dust bunnies. And I thought, oh, man. I knew what it was. I was old enough to, California, earthquakes. Looked up at the ceiling, waiting for it to come down on top of me. I got out of bed and stood in the doorway. You're told to do that, you know. And uh, earthquake, it'll get your attention. It will wake you up. You ever get mad at God? These guys are, are in jail for something that they had done right. 
They've been preaching the gospel. They, they delivered a young girl from demon possession, for Pete's sake. And now they're in jail. You ever get mad at God because you're doing the right thing and you wound up in less than enjoyable circumstances? Yeah, has that ever happened to you? How about this? I saw this story. And we're going to see a video. This story in the news happened not too long ago. Watch this story about this young girl. You do the right thing, you get punished for it. Has that ever happened to you? It's what's happening to Paul and Silas. But here they are in jail, and at midnight they're praising God and singing hymns. The joy of the Lord that he gives us all who know him is deeply and permanently embedded within our spirits when we're living in the Holy Spirit's control. They couldn't take their joy away. Feeding stocks, backs bleeding from the beating they had. They said, they looked at each other at midnight and said, this is a good time to have a worship gathering. Just the two of us. So they began to do that. The joy of the Lord can't be taken away, not by others, not by circumstances. Your joy, Christian, is dependent solely on your personal walk with God. There's no other way to explain the behavior of Paul and Silas while they're in the jail. No medical attention. They just put in this jail. Their rights as Roman citizens have been violated. They were put in stocks as though they were criminals. And I have to think, how would I respond to that? Would I be angry? Would I be bitter? Would I say, look, come on, God. They didn't say, come on, God. They said, the rock won't move. They said, uh, we are never forsaken. They sang and they praised God. And God said, as he heard their praises and their songs coming up to heaven, it got to be about midnight. And God turned to the angels who were surrounding the throne and said, hey, guys, watch this. And he pointed down to the earth and caused an earthquake. The jailhouse shook. The jailhouse rocked. You see, when you and I trust the Lord and we worship him, hear me, in spite of injustices, 
and we witness to those around us who are watching us go through those circumstances, two things happen. It bolsters our own faith, and it challenges their unbelief. How in the world can they do this? Paul and Silas grew stronger in their faith and boldness because they knew after this instance, they knew, hey, you know what? God comes through, doesn't he? He, he came, God, God shows up just in time. But if we in choose, in, instead choose in our circumstances, choose in our lives to run away, or to get angry with God or say, if that's the way it's going to be, God, I'm out of here. We've learned nothing, nothing of his faithfulness to us. Next point in your notes, the difference in us draws others to want the difference in them. Verse 29. Then the jailer called for lights and rushed in and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And then he escorted them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? This is, here's the verse that I memorized when I was 10 years old. So they said, believe on the Lord Jesus and you will be saved and your household. And then they spoke the message of the Lord to him along with everyone in his house. He, the jailer, took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And right away, he and all his family were baptized and he brought them into his house. These jailed men, Paul and Silas, brought them into his house. Again, somebody with hospitality, set a meal before them and rejoiced because he had believed God with his entire household. The difference in us draws others to want the difference in them. What must I do, he said to them, to have this salvation? He's about to commit suicide, and Paul says, no, no, no. It's okay, we're here. What had made these men so different? Excuse me that they responded this way to a beating in jail. He wanted to know. You guys are different than any prisoners we've ever had. So Paul and Silas shared with him that not only could he be saved and have what they had, so could his family. Stop and think that this guy could have been the one, probably was the one that put them in the stocks, who locked their feet in these stocks. It's, It's not hard to imagine that he wasn't the most cordial and hospitable man as a jailer. He's probably been cursed He's probably been spit on and worse by the worst of society's citizens. The worst that there is to have, that's part of his job. But with these two prisoners, God used them to get his attention. You see, Paul and Silas had no grudge against him. They only cared for him. They have been taught Jesus' words about loving our enemies, and here they get to put it into practice and As a result, they led this man and his family to faith in Christ, and then they baptized them. Along with Lydia and her family, here in the city of Philippi is the birth of one of the great churches in the New Testament. Here are two examples of households, whole households, coming to know Christ at once. Later, when Paul was in need, The Philippian church would be the only church that financially gave to assist him. He didn't know what would happen that night in the jail. He didn't know what was coming in the future, but the Lord did. I want you to listen to his words uh, to these Philippians sometime later in the letter that he wrote to them, verse 10 of chapter 4 
I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that once again you, you Philippians, you renewed your care for me. You were in fact concerned about me, but, but lacked the opportunity to show it. I don't say this out of need, for I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know both how to have a little and how to have a lot. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being content, whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need. I'm able to do all things through him who strengthens me. Still, you did well by sharing with me in my hardship. And you Philippians know that in the early days of the gospel, he's talking about Acts 16, That in the early days of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent gifts for my needs several times. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the profit that is increasing to your account. But I have received everything in full, and I have an abundance. I am fully supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you provided, a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Back to Acts 16, when daylight came, verse 35, the chief magistrate sent the police to say, release those men. The jailer reported these words to Paul. The magistrates have sent orders for you to be released. So come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, wait a second. They beat us in public without a trial, though we are Roman citizens, and threw us in jail. And now they're going to smuggle us out secretly? Certainly not. No way, Jose. Not going to happen that way. On the contrary, let let them come, the magistrates, and escort us out. Then Paul reported these words to the magistrates. They were afraid when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, so they came out and apologized to them and escorted them out. They urged them to leave town. And leaving the jail, Paul and Silas came to Lydia's. They didn't leave town. They went back to Lydia's house where they saw and encouraged the brothers and then departed. They were Roman citizens, and as such, they had rights to public hearings. The law protected them from the kind of punishment they had received. Roman citizens were not to be beaten like that. Later, when he wrote to the Romans in chapter 13, Paul would write that the government exists as an instrument of God to protect law-abiding people. By the way, since this is April 15th, in just a couple of days, we should note that Paul in that passage tells us to pay our taxes as Christians. But it's most likely that Paul insisted on his rights as a Roman citizen to put the local officials on notice. Why did he say, no, we're not just going to get at it? Why did he do it this way? I believe he did it this way, not because Paul thought he was high and mighty. I believe he put the local officials on notice that there is a new band of believers in Philippi. There are Christians in this city now. And they are not outside of the law because of Jesus. And that they should be protected from the kinds of injustices that Paul and Silas had suffered. I think you'll agree with me. It's good when government does its job and protects our religious liberties. 
But keep in mind that ultimately our hope is not, listen, our hope is not in a president, it's not in a Congress, it's not in the Supreme Court, it's not in a governor, it's not in the town council. Our hope is in the Lord. Would you bow with me? I wonder, God, how I would do had I been treated like Paul and Silas. I, I, I wish I could say without any reservation, I'd be singing praises and hymns. I want to be able to say that. Thank you, God, for Lydia, for her service. Thank you, Father, for the way you opened her heart and you opened the heart of this jailer. Thank you for the power of the name of Jesus to free a young slave girl from possession by a demon. Thank you for the Philippians and that they gave back. They paid it forward. They supported Paul in the future. He didn't know that was going to happen, but thank you for their willingness to be part of that ministry. May we learn from this. May we put these things into practice in our own lives. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. This has been a presentation of Nags Head Church, reaching people to discover life in Christ. Visit us on the internet at nagsheadchurch.org.